Well, we are going to continue today uh, in our series in Matthew. We're in chapter 25. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn there. But if not, it is printed in your bulletin for you. Uh, so uh, I will go ahead and read this for us. And as is our custom, uh, I will uh, say this is the word of the Lord after I read. If you could respond with thanks be to God. So hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. Have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'll have to apologize up front. Sometimes I forget my context. This saying that we heard in here, well done, good and faithful servant, do you think that's a well-known phrase amongst non-Christians? It's one we Christians long to hear, right? We long for that day when we're in Christ's presence, and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But I don't know that that translates outside of biblical Christianity, and as our society is less influenced by biblical Christianity, I don't know that people know those words. Conversely, I'm not sure a whole bunch of Bible-believing Christians might have seen the movie A Bronx Tale. 
Could I see a show of hands? Who has ever seen the movie A Bronx Tale? Like I said, sometimes I get my context a little bit mixed up. So, but it's always a wonderful way to start a sermon with a nice old gangster movie. <clears throat> All right, so the setting is uh, New York City. It's a coming-of-age movie. Uh, it has a wonderful soundtrack. It's one of those movies where you might suggest to someone, yeah, you know, it's a good movie, but you probably want to watch it when it comes on you know, regular TV so they can bleep out some of the stuff. But of course, with some movies, by the time they do that, there's not much left, okay? This isn't one of those gangster movies, although it's not for the faint of heart. But it has all your typical cast and crew. I mean, name the people that are in all the gangster movies, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, and the list goes, goes on and on. Well, there's a young boy, and he has a nice Italian name that I'd never heard before, and I've never heard since. His name is Cologiano, right? And I... I didn't really try and say it with a New York accent, but it'd be a little more like Colosiano, right? So it'd be, it'd be an Italian and New York all at the same time, and he's just a little boy when the movie starts. And his, his father, played by Robert De Niro, is a very upstanding man, and he's a bus driver. And he works hard every day. And he can see at a young age that his son is already being lured into the gangster life that he looks up to the people that everyone else in the neighborhood are looking up to, the people with power, the people with money, the people with influence, right? And so he keeps his son close by his side often. He even takes him on his bus route often. And what you read here is a little conversation that they had, a snippet from a conversation where Robert De Niro says to his son, right, as his son's asking, hey, you know, think I can be a good baseball player one day? He says, you can do anything you want to do. Right? And he says, uh, do you, do you, do you, he asks him a whole bunch of questions, right? And, and then he goes on to tell him, right, the Lord, he doesn't say the Lord, but you, you've been given all the talent in the world, right? And this, but the saddest thing in the world, right, is wasted talent. And this is his talk, right, to his son. Well, the movie progresses. The son gets older. It's a coming-of-age story. Uh, it, it does get graphic. It does get a little violent. But it, by and large, it has some redemptive themes, and it has overall a redemptive ending, right? Uh, the son, right, will heed the father's good advice, right, and not fall into the ways of all of the gangsters, right? So um, watch it if you want, um, and, uh, and we can have plenty of conversations. And again, the soundtrack's wonderful. Well, we're continuing today in, this, in the book of Matthew in our series, right? And we are in Matthew chapter 25, and uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are what's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is having a long speech on the Mount of Olives. It's his last recorded discourse in the book of Matthew, and it's a longer one. Uh, and as the discourse continues, Jesus begins to speak in parables. Right, so if I rewind the clock just a little bit, uh, Pastor Matt, a couple weeks ago now, uh, started us off in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Right? And he titled his message, Jesus Predicts the End of the World. And he talked about a certain event, but an uncertain time. And so most commentators agree that at least at that point in the Gospel of Matthew, that things in this speech are starting to talk about Jesus' return. Okay? Not about uh, A.D. 70 in Jerusalem, as Pastor Joseph pointed out, 
uh, last week, right? So Matt said, right, that we're to be aware uh, and we're to be uh, uh, awake and we're to be active, right? Well, Pastor Joseph preached last week from Matthew chapter 25, really the first of the three big parables in Matthew 25, um, and he preached uh, about the preparing for the kingdom of God, right? And that parable of, uh, of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, right? And he taught us about how to be ready and how to prepare for the kingdom of God. And that passage starts off, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Okay. Well, our passage today starts off in verse 14, and it just says, for it will be like a man going on a long journey. Well, what's the it? It's the kingdom of heaven. Right? So this is another passage about the kingdom of heaven and about Christ's return, uh, about his second coming, which makes it another parable of judgment. Now, parables, right? For anyone that's new today, the easiest way to think of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is taking normal, common, everyday things that people understood, and he's using them to teach principles about the kingdom of God. So we, one thing when we read a parable, we shouldn't try and assign meaning to every single little detail and trying to figure out what everything represents. What we want to take away is the big picture at the end of the day, right? So we're shooting for the big picture. So we're in Matthew chapter 25. We've had a parable of judgment. There's another one coming after it. We have to keep that in mind as we read this, also another parable of judgment. And here's the basic story then, right? The basic story and some of the main characters in the story and who they represent. Again, we don't want to go down to every little detail. What does this mean and what does this mean and what does this mean? But I think we need to know certain things as we dive into this story together. So a man is going on a journey. And the man represents Christ. Right? Now, there are servants. Uh, in this case, I think there are three men. Uh, I don't know that we're even told they're just servants. have to pay more attention to the pronouns. Um, probably men, uh, but they represent men and women, right? And before they go, he entrusts to them his property while he's gone. And it says he's going away on a long journey, right? And this is consistent with what we read in Scripture. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it has this rather elusive uh, verse that's, that's right in the middle of the passage, but it says this, when he, that is Christ, ascended on high, he led, host a ca uh, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Right? This is what this parable is talking about, Christ ascending into heaven, giving gifts to men, but one day he's going to come back. Right? Uh, so, so far, so good? You're with me. right? Now, after a long time, right, and we're living in that long time since Christ resurrected and ascended to the Father and before he comes back, after a long time, then the master who is Christ returns to settle accounts or to judge his servants for their faithfulness or lack thereof. Okay. We get the big picture here and what the main characters represent in the story and the time and where we are and how we might fit into it. Okay, now, let's spend some time looking at a few details uh, that perhaps get overlooked before we dive in closely at the scene of judgment itself. 
Okay, so the first thing I want to look at with you comes from verses 14 and 15. We're going to look at a couple things from there. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it for you. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. The first thing I want to look at in this parable that I think we, we can miss, right, uh, is the generosity of the master. Do we know what a talent represents? And I'm not talking about what you're good at, although we're going to get to that. But do we know what a talent represents in the Bible? Well, it represents 20 years wages. So this master is giving to three servants, right, one five times 20 years wages for an average common laborer. Okay, this might be a high number, uh, but let's say an average common laborer made $50,000 a year. What's 20 years wages? 20 times 50? How much is that? This is a lot of money we're talking about here. Okay, this is a lot of money we're talking about here, right? Uh, so uh, 20 years wages, right? Uh, 50,000 dollars a year is a million dollars alone. And some he gave five talents, and some he gave two, and some he gave one. The first thing I want us to see from this parable is that Christ, our king, is a generous king. He gives gifts liberally. He is not stingy in the least. Kids, if this were your allowance, you'd be getting more than you've ever gotten before. I don't care how much you've gotten, but he would ask you to use it wisely, and we will get to that part. Now, you often hear, maybe you've even said it, heard, or maybe you've even said it yourself, uh, God may not give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need. Is there some wisdom in that? Maybe some, but I think at the end of the day, it leaves the impression that God is Stingy, right? Uh, that all he wants to give to his people are just the very basics that they need to get by. Like he wants us to get by on, on as little as we can. And if I can be uh, self-deprivating uh, uh, here for a moment, like us, us Scotch-Irish, we love that, don't we? Like just, just, a, you know, just a little bit and no more, right? Uh, just my meat and potatoes, but nothing else, right? Uh, Is that really the case? I would suggest to you that I, I think oftentimes when we're not getting the things that we want, because of course God is going to provide for his children the things that they have to have in order to survive, but I'm just going to suggest that when, when we're not getting the things that we want that seem to be over and above that, is it more likely that that's because God's withholding a good thing from us or more likely that 
maybe it's just not a good thing and it's not going to be good for us, right? You see the difference? Our, our heavenly Father, right, is, is generous and he's good and he lavishes gifts upon his children, right? And he desires that we would not only live life but live it to the full, live it in abundance, right? Uh, so that's the first thing I want us to see is, is the generosity of the, of the master. I have two more things and then we'll dive into the judgment scene. The second thing I want us to see is that the master is not only generous, right, but he's wise, okay? Uh, the master Christ is not only generous in, in giving gifts, but, but he's wise beyond our understanding. You'll notice at the end, right, uh, verse 15, it says, uh, to one he gave five, to another two, to another uh, one, to each according to his ability. See, Christ gives different gifts, right? And don't forget that he's generous with each of these three people. But he gives different gifts. He gives different talents, right, to men and women according to what is best suited to them. He gives them gifts and talents and abilities, right? And notice I'm, I've moved beyond the narrow definition of talent, just money, which is what it was, and I'm moving towards, like, him giving things to us as his people because I think that's the rightful application of the passage, right? So we're, we're moving past just the narrow concept of uh, the, the five million, the two million, or the one million dollars, and I think it's right to do so because our English word talent well, the, the word talent comes from the Bible, and the English word talent and the way it's used comes out of this parable, right? So this parable has influenced the English language profoundly in the way we even define that word. Right? Uh, so uh, it's, it's no longer just a unit of money. We use it that way, and, and, the, and the Bible's where we get this word from, and the parable helps us understand it. Right? Um, but God doesn't uh, give you what's best for someone else. He doesn't give someone else what's best for you. We often want the things that someone else has. Other people often want the things maybe that we have. But God is not only generous to all, but he's wise. And he knows what's best. And he knows what we need. He gives you what's best for you, despite what you may think. He's generous. And he's wise. And this is good. This is good for us. And God does this because he is good. Right? God doesn't do good things, and he does enough of them, and then that makes him good. No, God is good. <laughs> he's the very definition of goodness, and so out of his nature, he does good things. So he's generous, right? and he's wise, and this is for our good. Now, one more note before we dive into the judgment scene. If you've noticed, as we read the passage, it's not the amount of talent that you get that's so important, but what's important is what you do with them. You can't control the gifts and the talents and the abilities, 
that our Creator has bestowed upon you or endowed you with. But what you can control is what you do with them. You, by God's grace, can be faithful in using them for the upbuilding of His kingdom and for His glory. And we'll see this play out as we move on to the judgment scene right now. Uh, so uh, the men have uh, received their talents, right? Um, and uh, we read in verse, let's see, 19. Uh, now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, right? Um, and so it's time to settle accounts. This is the beginning of the judgment scene. Now, two men, we were told, at once, that is, immediately, went and traded or made use of them, right? Commentators say that probably means they started some kind of business. I mean, this was a significant amount of money, right? You had a lot of options on the table, you know? Someone gives you a million dollars or two million dollars or five million dollars, then you can buy almost any franchise in America except Chick-fil-A because they'll make you interview and pay very little, but they want the right people. Uh, <clears throat> that's not a plug. <laughs> but I like the way they do business. And they make good chicken sandwiches. All right, so uh, they make use of these talents, right? And the person who has five makes five more, doubled their money. The person who, makes, who has two makes two more, right, doubles his money. But one person and the person who had one talent just dug a hole in the ground and put the money in there, right, time capsule style. They still make time capsules. All the time capsules, you know, if you're my age, plus or minus 10 or 15, you probably made time capsules growing up, right? If you're between like, let's call it 30 and 60, I, that was just something you did in elementary school. Who's ever gonna dig up all those time capsules, right? I'm not sure where they are, if they have directions and treasure maps to these things, but there's all kinds of old stuff in there. Well, this guy said, I'm going time capsule style. I'm just gonna put this in there. Now, this was a common practice back then, right? Uh, this was a way to hide things. This is what often happened with valuables, right? So it's not like he was doing something so out of the ordinary. It just happened to be entirely inappropriate in this case, right? So verse 19 begins that judgment scene. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the master, Christ, returns to settle accounts or to judge them for their faithfulness or their unfaithfulness. And we see two responses. We see two very different outcomes. Right? Uh, two people that received the talents put them to good use and one did not. And they're treated very differently by the master. Right? So first, the two servants, right? They put to use their talents faithfully. Right? Uh, the text makes them appear very grateful for what they'd been given. And they demonstrated that by putting it to good use for the master. And they both heard the master's same gracious words. Remember, it's not how much talent you have, it's the faithfulness. He said the same thing to both the person who had five talents and two talents. It's identical to the word, verses 21 and 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
Christ calls them good and faithful. He didn't call them perfect, and I'm sure they were far from perfect. But they had understood what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 127, which is in your additional scriptures, that unless the Lord builds the house, he who builds it labors in vain. Right? And so they put their talents to use right, for the building of his kingdom. They wanted to be a part of his work and what he was doing, right? They wanted to be part of building eternal things to be used by their master for that purpose that he would receive the glory and honor and praise, right? So Christ calls them many things, but he calls them good and faithful. And for their faithfulness, regardless of how much they'd been given, he gives them more. He says, I will set you over much. And Christ invites them into his joy, into his very presence, to dwell with him forever. They are good and faithful because Christ is good and faithful. And they've set their lives on following him, on walking in his ways, on bringing glory to him, by pointing others to his goodness and faithfulness, not their own. Surely this is a call to all those who name the name of Christ, right? To take all that he's given us, our time, our talent, our treasure. And some of us struggle with this. And if you struggle with this, then you're not alone. It's not easy. I mean, I'm looking around the room. I know many of you. I look up to some of you so dearly in the way you use your time and your talents and your treasure for God's kingdom, the way you're consistently at work, the way you're sharing the good news with people, the way you're inviting them into the kingdom, the way you're doing all of those things. And others of us really struggle with it. We have a hard time doing what Ephesians 5.15 says, redeeming the time, right? Making best, the best use of the time because the days are evil. But nonetheless, this is a call to all who name the name of Christ, right? Hear it again today, right? Uh, that you have been granted great and precious promises and talents and, uh, talents and gifts and abilities that are unique to you, that God calls you to use for his glory, to put to work, to put your hand to the plow, right? To be used by him to help build his kingdom, that his name would be known to spread his gospel, it's a good and beautiful thing. It's a high calling. And it's one that I hope uh, we won't take lightly as God's people. Now, to our other servant, the last servant who was given one talent. And that's not to say that people who all right, uh, aren't going to put their talents to good use are only given very little. It's just the way it plays out in the parable. Uh, it's even sadder when someone is given more talent and they don't put it to use. But this person was given one talent, and he buried it. He didn't at once put the talent to use like the others did. We hear no gratitude in his voice for what he's been given. We read in verse 24 and 25, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. 
So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. He knew the master to be a hard man. He was levying false accusations against him. He told him, you reap where you do not sow. And he lived in fear of the master. And it's all so very sad and so very tragic. He would not put his talent to use at all. He didn't appear to even want it. He just wanted to get it out of his hands. He offers it back quickly, perhaps to rid himself of the reminder of his lack of gratitude and faithfulness. And what is the master's response then? Well, it's long, and there's a lot here. I'd like us to read it again, and we'll talk about just a few things in there. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may have noticed a few times in Christ, in the parable, like the pronouncements kind of break out of the parable <laughs> and start speaking, like and in, in, in making judgments, right, and making pronouncements about what will come to pass in time. Well, we see that here. There's a lot here, but let's start with this. Right? The master rightfully calls the servant two things. And there was no condemnation for the first two. Here, there's no commendation, right, like there was for the first two. Right? He called them good and faithful, and here he says, you're wicked and you're slothful. He says you're wicked because you didn't put to use what I gave you to use, and the servant blamed the master for it. Let's think through his reasoning for a moment. If this master was so hard, first, shouldn't that have driven him, right, just like Christ says, to put the money in a bank to earn some interest? It should have at least done that. But on top of that, if the master was so hard, shouldn't it have convinced the servant? to work that much harder, knowing how hard the master was? And thirdly, his logic really breaks down because he says, you're a master that reaps where you have not sown, 
But did he sow into this man's life? Oh, about a million bucks. Right? He was generous and good right, to this servant. So he calls him wicked for those reasons. Because he didn't put to use what he'd given to him. And he blamed the master for it. It's like all his problems, all his lack of activity were the master's fault. But then he calls him slothful. Do you know what that word means, kids? Right? You know what a sloth is, right? You've seen Ice Age and Sid the Sloth, right? Sloths move pretty slow. Right? So he's calling the servant lazy. Right? The servant was unwilling to do the work of investing the talent for the benefit of another. It just wasn't in his agenda. So, as opposed then to rewarding this servant like he did the first two, he takes away his lone talent. And instead of welcoming him into the joy of his presence, he casts him away into the darkness, away from all that is good. This is truly wasted talent. And it's wasted talent on a cosmic scale. And it's sad. And it's tragic. And it's avoidable. What's so sad about this is that this servant did not know the master as he thought he did. He didn't know the master as he really is. And so he ran, and he hid, and he lived in fear, and he refused to come to him. He refused to live and to love him the way that he should. And I say it's sad, and I say it's tragic, but I also say it's avoidable. Because until Christ comes again, or until you meet him face to face, until this judgment scene becomes reality, Christ is calling all men and women, boys and girls, everywhere, and especially those here hearing these words, to know him as he truly is. He's inviting you into the joy of his presence. He's inviting you into the joy of his riches. He's inviting you into the joy of his kingdom. He's inviting you into the joy of his service. He's inviting you into the fellowship that you so long for and the love that you're looking for, but you cannot find it anywhere else. And so you keep looking here, there, and everywhere. But here it is. It's your good and generous and faithful master calling you to come home. Calling you to know him as he truly is.
and to love him and to serve him. He's a good and faithful master. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a good and faithful king. And he's inviting you this day to taste and see that he is good and he's kind and he's humble and that he lived and died for you so that you might have life in his name. Church, people of God, Will you love and serve this king? Do you long for the day when he says to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Then do so, right? Forgetting what's behind, right? Pressing forward to what lies ahead, as Paul says in Philippians, right? This day, rededicate yourself to putting to use the talents that he has given you for his glory. And anyone in here who doesn't name the name of Christ, who doesn't know him, will you, will you join us? Will you join us in serving this good and faithful king that he might say to you one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. My prayer is yes on both accounts. That the people of God will come and fall down and worship this king and serve him and love him for who he is. And that those who don't know him might come, even this day, and bow down at his feet and say, thank you, our good and gracious and faithful heavenly father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done for me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for writing these truths upon my heart and giving me new life in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, these are weighty things. We don't often like to think about the day of our demise. We don't often like to think about meeting our creator face to face. We don't like to think about judgment and you coming back to judge both the living and the dead. But Father, you have made these things plain enough for us to see in the scripture. Would you be pleased by your grace to work in us so that we would learn to faithfully serve you day by day, being grateful for all that you've done for us. And telling everyone of your goodness and mercy and steadfast love that endures to all generations. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.